0: All right, so um, this is uh, being the finale of the uh, of the class. Um, I thought it was only appropriate that uh, we talk about the finale of the scriptural story, um, and uh, and delve into uh, the apocalypse. Right. So um, up to this point, we've we've kind of uh, pursued this idea that God is created us for partnership. That God uh, pursued partnership with us um, in uh, in covenant and um, in um, in His interactions with people, and uh, ultimately leading up to to Jesus, who Himself was the complete partnership between God and humanity, um, and and then the New Testament. Uh, takes it a step further and suggests that um, God wants to partner with us by becoming organically united uh, to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that Christ wants to bring us into his body and he wants to become part of our bodies. And so we have this idea that we are now participants in Christ with this partnership between God and humanity, that this is our channel to being um, what God both intended for us to be and all the things that God wanted um, for us. So when we get to something like a subject like the apocalypse, um, uh, sometimes it seems like we're taking a hard right turn, like we're jumping into a different subject entirely. And um, so I want, I want to look at a couple of things. So first of all, though, I want to say the the apocalypse, the eschatology, the end times, all this kind of stuff in the Bible is very complex stuff. And um, I don't think that anybody understands it completely. I certainly don't pretend to understand it completely and certainly don't uh, think that uh, we can uh, fully explore it or explain it in you know 30 minutes or so. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> but maybe uh, maybe we can get like, um, a little bit of a different lens to look at it, um, and or maybe not. Uh, but regardless, what I want to do is complicate this subject even more. Uh, so, um, so there's a passage where Paul uh, is talking about um, some uh, some disputes between people in the Corinthian church, and so he kind of comes out with the statement. All of a sudden, he says. Do you not know that we will judge angels? So, here's my question: Do you know that we will judge angels? Like, is that a is that a part of your theology and thinking about uh, the world?
1: It goes with angels having children with
0: mm. women. Okay. So, some, some crazy, yeah, there's some crazy stuff here.
1: Genesis
0: stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what, uh, let's, I'll jump to the full, full passage here. First, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 2 through 3. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? how much more the things of this life so what what do you make of that or what would you typically like when if you're reading over this what would you think this means or or have you heard people explain this or talk about this in some way what does it mean that we will judge the world and angels
2: Made lower than Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. But now we're
0: going to be the ones judging the things that are higher than us. Mm-hmm. That's a weird thought. And yeah. Like yeah. People that believe in guardian angels, the guardian angels are in trouble because there's a lot oh. of people
1: who
0: don't believe in guardian angels. Nice. That's that's a good switcheroo there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Way, do you think yeah. there's going to be a lot of angels in trouble yeah. so, so they not but yeah. you possibly happen to have the, first, the verse above it
0: um, it's, uh, or kind of I'd like to know what that leads to he, what he's talking about I, I don't have it in front of me what he's talking about though is, is that they're going to the courts against each other they're suing each other in court And he's like, what are you, you know, what what are you doing? Oh, you got it, yeah, sure.
1: does put it in context mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that doesn't take away from the complexity right. of what those are saying, but it does yeah. it, he's basically trying to draw a comparison of worldly people and worldly values mm-hmm. judging people of spiritual values on spiritual issues mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. especially like you, know, you and, and Charlie and I loan each other money Yeah. or I, Charlie loans me money because I don't have any yeah. but if Charlie loans me money and I'm just having trouble getting it back and he's getting tired of it because he sees me buy a, a new Lexus but he wants his money Well, he takes us to court yeah. when the issue isn't about the money yep. if we went to the church leaders the church leaders are the ones who will say don't you love Charlie? Yeah. isn't your love for Charlie more important than that loan? Mm-hmm. whereas the worldly people would say hey, it's the loan
0: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: you know, and I think the saints are the ones who can put a perspective on, you know, how we treat each other.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I think that that's right, and um, I would say Paul when Paul says weird stuff like this, he always has a practical purpose in mind, like a practical context. So he'll jump to this assuming that they know what he's talking about right and then he's like connecting it to so why are you not behaving better right even his discussion of the Lord's Supper uh, this is what he does you know he he brings in this huge thing about you know Christ's body and blood and it's like why are you not respecting the other people that you're, you're with right there so yeah Paul's doing a lot of that He like very practical context but he and he's, he's tying it together with with these things, and you know, and yeah, to your point, like um, what is the what is the value system that, that God's people are supposed to be, you know, embodying and embracing? It's this participation in Christ, partnership um, kind of thing versus uh, what the the rest of the world is presumably um, embracing. Um, some some other comment. Mm-hmm. So it made me think of, you know, in Israel they had this, this kind of judgment. Right? Yeah. You know, they had problems. They so it's almost like maybe, I don't know, this might be not relevant, but maybe Paul's trying to say, look, we're in a different system now.
2: You know, kind mm-hmm. of grown up in the system where you had this judgment now, now
0: we're the judges. Oh, I, I don't know oh yeah, interesting. Nice. Yeah. Well, there's something, that, there's something to the, explore there maybe that, you know, God's, God's people in the Old Testament were judging among themselves in a sense. And Paul's saying that about, about God's people in the New Testament, right? Even though they're in, embedded in another, another context. I think it's funny or ironic or something, I guess, in the sense that, like, uh, all throughout the Bible, it's like, do not judge. Don't judge. Mm, yeah, Don't judge right. Right. Don't do this, and then now he's like, "Why aren't you judging right. each other? Yeah. Why aren't you Why aren't you settling this among yourselves? Yeah. You know, like why aren't you You know, yep. acting as a judge?" and It's like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" Like, yeah, it's 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 really interesting looking at some of these passages. How it interplays between this idea of like judging and humility, and like they're both both tied together, right? And um, and they can do that because that's what jesus does right like jesus is uh both in the new testament the most humble person and the most exalted and powerful person um and so that's kind of that's both a template and a huge kind of theme of how we actually um, live you
1: know he uses the word saints he wants them to live up to a certain standard Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not that they're judging people but that they're judging I think this is their issues. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The loan. Yeah. You know, and like I say, I think he wants them to have a standard that says, you know, you're sitting there having these petty and it's probably more not the loan stuff, it's more like, well, the preacher wants more money and we can't afford it. So we're trying to get another preacher. You know, like mm-hmm. the schools, there's a church up uh, Madison area. The two rivers, was it rivers, two rivers, or something? Okay. It was in the paper, and it was this huge thing going on in mm. public. And I think some of them, oh, really yeah. what was going on, that there were these issues in public. Yeah. That they were allowed to be in public, and the world was going, all oh, these Christians, and they don't have it. Yeah. To look at them. They're fighting. Why should we have anything to do with them? When he's saying, you better take care of it in the house. Right because you're the ones who are smart enough to handle it in the house. Don't take it out of the world. Don't let them, not that don't let them see it, but don't let them use that against the church. If you can't handle these issues, it's going to reflect on Christ and his body.
0: Mm -hmm. And Jesus gives a very powerful methodology for resolving conflicts. He talks about like speak to your brother then bring someone else then like that's actually a really strong thing and it's very different than like an authoritarian system where like the leader just comes in and says here's what it is right it starts from the ground up and works uh, works up and so what i hear here is is paul echoing this like do jesus's approach where you're settling it first here and you know bring going up if you need don't just jump to this other entirely different thing um, yeah, so lots, lots and lots of stuff there. So what, I, angels? Huh? what angels? Mm, yeah. you, know, there's, you
1: know, you've got angels battling in yeah. Daniel. Uh, yep. I couldn't come to you immediately. We were fighting. Yep. What does all that mean?
0: And some of the, those angels in Daniel are talked about as the angels of the nations, um, okay. which some translations say judge the nations. So maybe he's doing a little bit of a, a parallel here. There's, there's angels that are in some way like over, over different nations. I don't know. Specul- speculation. Um, okay, so I, here's what I want to do. I want to, uh, because we have very limited time, I want to blow through a whole bunch of provocative verses <laughs> and uh, see if we, can, if we can make sense uh, here. But what I want to look at is that this is not an isolated idea, that actually this is a pretty pervasive idea in the New Testament, and it's something we easily uh, tend to overlook. So Revelations 2, To the one who is victorious and who does my will, this is Jesus speaking, "uh, does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. So this is Jesus talking and he's using this language of ruling with an iron scepter that is used of Jesus. And He is saying, this to the churches. I'm going to go, go on. Revelation 5, this is people singing a song about Jesus. And they sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Revelation 20. I saw thrones on which, those, on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me... The river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night." They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. To me, reading these, uh, it's it's hard to read these uh, passages without feeling like I'm being somewhat sacrilegious, right? Like this is pretty like bold statements, bold ways of talking about it. Jesus saying to his his disciples, "I will give them uh, an iron rod, and they will rule over over the nations, and and so forth." So I, I want to um, kind of push it back a little bit and say, okay, so where did this whole theme come from? So we we've seen Paul just kind of casually mention it. We see that it's a huge theme through the book of Revelation, um, and and I want to suggest that actually we have some backstory for this idea and we've already kind of been looking at it. So we started out the class looking at Genesis 1 where God gives humanity dominion over all creation right, and asks them to participate in his work of creating and cultivating life. And we looked a uh, a few weeks ago at Psalm 8 which kind of echoes that story What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. And what we saw um, reading that is that um, this passage shows back up in the New Testament In Hebrews two, when he's talking about why Jesus is a suitable uh, Messiah rather than angels or some other kind of beings, and he, he quotes this. He says, it is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crown them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. So, uh, and and we talked about this uh, in the context of what this means in terms of what Jesus is doing and and all this. And what we're looking at is that, is that Jesus um, is taking what God intended for humanity to partner with Him in ruling over everything, in in doing this work, and Jesus is the one who can finally uh, do this in the right way, who can fulfill that partnership, and so um, so these things that that get applied directly to Jesus are often coming from passages that we're talking about God's intentions for humanity. And they sound extreme and extravagant. But I, So uh, I want to continue on um, here. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death For everyone. And I want to jump forward to 1 Corinthians 15 because it's almost like it just continues going. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Paul here and in Uh, just as in the book of Hebrews, just as in uh, all these things, is connecting this idea of what God intended for humanity with the idea of of the purpose that Christ is serving, the purpose of of the incarnation and the purpose, ultimately, of the apocalypse. And um, so what I... um, there's there's no way to unpack all of the all of the things that this uh entails and and means and all that. But what I I want to look at is what is um g- given these things what is the apocalypse about? And I I, I want to suggest that in um 1 Corinthians 15 the the apocalypse is simply the reign of Christ continuing and extending until everything that stands against him has been defeated. All of Christ's enemies are defeated. And I think sometimes we, you know, in our popular tellings of the apocalypse, we're like, oh, it's because, um, you know, God's just done with this particular thing and shuffle it off off the stage or something like that. Um, Or, you know, now's the time when God pulls out the zombies or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but in, in Paul's account of it, it's simply this, that Christ has now been uh, enthroned in heaven and is reigning until all his enemies are defeated. And um, in up, not just, not people, um, but everything, right? Like, um, including, up to and including death. The second
1: death.
0: The second death all of the deaths <laughs> throw
1: said it, the death, exactly. mm-hmm.
0: yep <laughs> yes <laughs> yes
1: because you know all the scriptures you read to me mm-hmm. the apocalypse happens after the first
0: death mm-hmm.
1: that's the implication I get mm-hmm. that after we die mm-hmm. is the apocalypse not not the end of our earth mm-hmm. but it's we died, and there's
0: an apocalypse. If that's when. Yeah, I th- I think it's it's both, and um, uh, there is um, so much, and, and th- this is another kind of connected issue. Um, a lot of these verses talk about like we will be we will reign with Christ, we will be enthroned with Christ, that kind of thing. We will have these crowns of glory and so forth. Um, and I, but I've got verses in Colossians where Paul says, you're now with Christ. like you're now seated in the heavenly places. you're now reigning. So those those things both go back and forth, right? Like they're um, it's it's not one or the other. It's that, yes, here's, you know, and and just like the book of Hebrews says, we do not yet see all, you know, all that is subject. But we do see Jesus. So Jesus shows us both where we're going and in some sense, like, what's already, like, what's already the case. Um, yeah, that's, mm, uh, Okay, so that, a whole lot of stuff there. I don't know, any, any, um. Any uh, other thoughts about that?
1: If we're already ranking mm. in some sense, mm-hmm. does that mean the second death has already been subjected to like under his feet and has already been
2: repeated?
0: Mm. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, well, in some sense, like the.
1: I at- need to go back to that second. Yeah, we're, it's almost as yeah. intriguing as everything else. Yeah. <laughs> and
0: evidently, the first death
1: has not been defeated yeah. Right.
0: Well, it's been... It, well, this is, yeah, I mean, I think, this is, I think this is part of the thing. Like, in, in some passages, it would say, like, um, everything has been defeated. Like, it's already done, in some sense, right? Christ has already won. He's already defeated death. And, in fact, this is in present tense. He has put everything under his feet. But the, the unveiling of that, or the implementation of that, like, seems to you know, be uh, unfolding over time. It's not a, it's not a um, okay, now we, you know, done, now we don't think about it anymore, per se. It's like, this is done, and now we're, you know, kind of facing down all these other things. Um, so e- even, like, even the idea of, of he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Well, if he's reigning, aren't they already? You know, like there's there's kind of a um, a tension between between these ideas that I think you get a lot. So it's very complex. I don't. Um,
1: Did you also talk about the principalities and the other spirits? So I mean, yeah. you know, there's your enemies that we can yep. see. Yeah. That must be destroyed, That maybe with the first I mean it talks about the death right there. The first one would be my death right there. That's it, let them all die. That's your first death. Yep. And Christ made us alive. Okay, we're alive again. Now there's a second death. That's kinda of scary. Yeah. Now the second death may be the enemies. Boy, well, once they're gone on the second time there's no coming back.
0: Right. You know, okay. Yeah, so I mean some people would say the first death is your physical death, second death is uh, is hell or something like that. Um, uh, other people would say first death is spiritual death. You know, like second death is physical death. That, that kind of thing. I, I think it... I don't know. I, I, I don't have a... So we die to ourselves and arranged to be So this is a huge part of, of Paul's theme, uh, which is that um, we get to choose to participate in Christ. And if we choose to participate in Christ, then we die with him and we raise with him, right? And so um, we can can die with him now uh, and experience his exaltation, or we can just die later, you know, and and not have it experienced that way. We get to choose um, to essentially go through the fire ahead of time. and escape uh, in a, no, not just unscathed, you know, kind of scathed, but but uh, on, on a path to, to glorification. Um, there's a, let me see if I can uh, find that first, yeah. Second Timothy 2, here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So there's that whole thing, like this is the this is the kind of archetype of all of these scriptural things where as participants in Christ we follow the same trajectory we are part of that same thing we're organically united to him and so we experience the same sorts of things that he did and that i think is one of the reasons we can talk about reigning with him and judging and all these kinds of things because that's what Christ is doing And we're right there with him, right? Um, So, uh, let's see, yeah. Um, So, I I want to throw one more wrench in the (laughs) works Um, and uh, bring in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In another passage, where Paul's talking about uh, being uh, children of God, heirs, uh, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, um, experiencing suffering now, you or- know, and that we will experience exaltation later, and so he goes in. He goes into this, and to me, this is um, the kind of. Uh, cherry on top of Paul's thinking about the apocalypse, about eschatology is that he's talked about 1 Corinthians 15, which we looked at is one of the most zoomed out views. right Christ is reigning until all things are put under his feet. And then he gives us, I think in Romans 8, this one extra little bit, which is that the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So here's, here's the question on this. Why does the creation long for the children of God to be revealed? Why does that make sense?
1: hmm But are we part of the creation or
0: mm. Well we are part of the creation, right? The
1: creation was subjected, uh, but you know, so are we waiting for the children of God or is there mm. something else that's waiting for the children? Or are we children of God through the rebirth? Mm. For the first death <laughs> Actually, the first death is I,
0: mean, hmm. Hmm. What I What I see here is t- ties into what Paul was saying in, in 1 Corinthians 15, right? He says, um, where he's talking about, like, what, what was the, well, b- back to Hebrews 2. What was God's intention? God put everything under humanity's feet, but humanity was not able to to do that job, right? To do the job that God intended for it. So Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 then says, um, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So here are two different kinds of humanity, right? Adam, who failed at the commission that God had given, who who chose not to be in partnership with God, and who brought about death and destruction and decay. And Christ, who chose to be in partnership with God and brought about life and uh, glory and freedom. And that's a huge thing for Paul. These are these two different kinds of humanity. So which one are we part of? Well, we are, um, we've all been part of Adam's kind of humanity, uh, but we can be part of Christ's kind of humanity. Right? And if we're part of Christ's kind of humanity, then what, what does that um, result in? It results in all being made alive. And so then he describes this as a process. Christ, the first fruits. then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to the God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Right? All that decay and destruction and, and disaster that had been unleashed in Adam is now going to be defeated in Christ. And the, the last enemy that is defeated in Christ is death itself, the thing that, that Adam had, um, had, had brought uh, into the world. And the, um, uh, the result of that is just uh, ever-increasing life. Um, and that... Okay, wait. Right. Yep, yep, yep.
1: There's something. I'm going to
0: throw this in there. Okay, you've got a wrench. I got <laughs> a wrench. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So, in Christ, all may be made alive. Now, he's going to tell you who it is, but each in turn. Yep. Christ first. Yep. Then the first fruits, then those who belong. So, who are the first fruits?
0: So, I would read that as saying Christ, who is the first fruits, but that term is used in a lot of different ways. But
1: that comma also kind of it's mm. something different. That mm. it's not, you know, that mm. usually it's like this, this, and
0: this, mm-hmm. and this. So, mm-hmm. hmm. well, uh, and to
1: me, there's three things right there. So. Okay.
0: So, they, I mean, there is definitely a sense uh, that I get, at least in, in Romans, where there is, um, you know, there's Christ, there's kind of the first century... Group of people who are uh, com- being called out in expectation of uh, the multitude of people who will come, right? And there's even um, in Revelation it talks about that, right? There's the the uh, twelve thousand from, or no, the one hundred forty four thousand, I think, uh, taken out of Israel, and then there's the multitude beyond that. Right, there's like the sense of like, here's a small initial group and then here's a larger group. So, so um, that might be part of, uh, part of that process. Like th- this is a process that expands to include uh, more and more things. Uh, more and more defeating of death until all death is defeated. Um, and then a- as I'm reading it, and then um, all that decay is removed from creation itself. And creation is uh, liberated and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And to me, that just sounds like that was God's intention, right? Like that was what God wanted humanity to do, to create and cultivate life, to care for creation and to bring life into the world. So if we have humanity restored to through, its, through Christ to its ultimate uh, intent, to now it can function fully, now death and all those things can be removed, then the creation is now eager, eagerly waiting for that kind of humanity, for the children of God to be present in it because that's, that's the, the intention all along is that we would be present in the creation and bring, um, bring life uh, with us um, as part of that. I don't know, Thought, thoughts on that? To make it's
2: like, we've been called to become stewards or stewards of creation and so, you don't argue that you know Christian but long for that yeah of role to be like it's it's longing for to do what it is purpose is is um being taken care of by you. Yeah. And so I would assume we're not doing a very good job of that in like, but today we're doing a very bad job of that. And so, like
0: yeah. I th I think we've always done a, a bad job of it. Um but uh and and the vision, just like in Hebrews too, we don't yet see everything, right? Like we don't even know all the things that we're not doing a good job at <laughs> yet. Like you know so. I to like, you know, like I thought I thought in those other
2: passages like, mm-hmm. you know, the rocks will cry out, like yeah. moans or like the completion of the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's really yeah, that's really good. The um, there's there's so much language, especially in the Old Testament, about yeah. like yeah, the the rocks want justice, yeah. right? <laughs> they it's important to the the trees and the birds and so forth for justice to be enacted among humans. And you're like, well, you know. And of course, it's poetic, and you're like, well, what, you know. But that makes sense with this, right? This is our this is our role. It's important in some sense for all of creation that we are um, fulfilling this role yeah. because that's it, what God intended.
2: It, it, it's awesome. I'd be curious to go back to room one, mm. Paul says, you know, no one was without because yeah. of the creation around him. Like, you know, creation intensifies yeah. Um, and so I think that's an interesting I would interesting uh, theme that Paul is finding throughout Romans yeah. in the first and the to the age that's what he talks about like, you know, like no I know that all the enemies you know what he
0: talked about Paul says like no one yeah all, all fallen short of the glory of God that, yeah, yeah it yeah. says
2: but Christian testifies to the presence of God
0: yeah. Yeah, that's in Romans one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it's on so you have the same kind of string of Paul's
0: time. Creation is speaking itself, but creation itself is a testament to you know Yeah, that's a, yeah. No, that's good. That that ties together like Paul's whole kind of argument in Romans. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's a good insight. Hmm. Did I complicate it too much? Throw too many too many things in there, too many wrenches in the the works.
2: I, I think the implications of this, I think I really I think great. I think this needs to be preached <laughs> out. <laughs> um,
0: I, I think it's I think it's important uh, you know, so much so much that we do in terms of trying to interpret scripture, sometimes we get like caught up in the details and missed the, the big picture. And Jesus talks to the Pharisees about this. You know, he's like, You tithe the, the mint and cumin, but you've missed, you know, truth and justice and things like that. The weightier matters to the law. So it's easy for us, and, and we've seen this over and over in history where people are like, Ah, I think, you know, um, 2011, that's, that's the end time or whatever, you know. And they come up with some kind of a scheme where they've laid out all these dates and stuff and they miss what the, the story is, right? And the story is that, that Christ is, is coming to reign fully uh, to fully embody that partnership um, that was always intended. Um, so I wanna uh, just throw out maybe two verses just to bring, uh, bring this a, a little bit down from such a big abstract thing. Uh, Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved uh, through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, I think this, pa- this passage is interesting because sometimes we contrast grace and, and works. Con- sometimes we, we want to contrast it like is, if, it's, if it's by grace we're not supposed to think too much about works, but for Paul, it's the opposite of this, right? We're not justified or saved by our works, but rather we're saved by grace so that we can be equipped to do good works. And when he says, which God prepared in advance for us to do, I think it's back to Genesis 1. It's back to this is what God intended. So I think it's important for us to think about, like, God wants us, God wants to equip us, Not because we're so great. You know, what is man that you are mindful of him? But this is what God wants uh, for us and with us. And um, and I'll just close with this. Um, The kind of culmination of Revelations talk about uh, the apocalypse. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God that to me I think is the whole thing God wants partnership and that's the end point of the story we're way over time uh, so I guess Any uh, uh, thanks thanks for uh, being part of this this has uh, been a very interesting experience for me and uh, very rewarding um, any uh, other thoughts or comments, or objections? I don't know. <laughs> I object. I was just reading
1: in Exodus where uh, Moses is yeah, in the tent of meeting with God, hmm. uh, he actually sees God, sees the glory of God, but he's not allowed to see the face of God. Yeah. he says he will die if he sees the face God. Yeah. Uh, but in the first mm-hmm. you read, uh,
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that would kind of be brought back around forever. Yeah, Hebrews talks about that. It says uh, you know, uh, Moses had a veil over his face and he said, and it says Yeah. right. He, like radioactive Moses, right. yeah.
1: I think that's what I think of, The Yeah. <laughs> eye <other> yeah. <laughs> like,
0: oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, yeah, I, I I do wonder about that. That's such a weird like image. Yeah, like like, like glow in the dark now or something like that. So, um, but it said um, and it says the I think the gl- the glory uh, of his face like faded over time. I think is what what Hebrew says. He um, says but he, there was a veil and even now uh, there is a veil when when um, they're reading the, these scriptures. What he's saying, and then he says, "But in Christ, that veil is taken away." Right. So now, that that um, inability to interface directly with God through Christ, through the New Covenant, through uh, that embodied relationship between God and humanity, has now been removed, and it's now like it's now completely um, possible to have that kind of uh, that kind of relationship. Uh, with God, or that kind of an interaction or interface with God. Um, at least that's how, yeah. So that's, yeah, it, it's interesting. Hebrews is, is interesting in how it, like, picks up all those themes. Uh, Paul is really interesting in how he's picking up all those themes, but usually we don't notice it because we don't notice that he's, like, quoting something or, you know, um, saying something like, even in the, uh, the first, the first Corinthians 15, I never noticed this. Like, I just always ended my reading at the last enemy to be destroyed his death. I didn't notice that he then just says, Here's why. You know. Um, so much is easy to, to miss when we read. Sorry, I riffed on that too long. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> <laughs> who knows that ex- that exhausted my uh all my knowledge <laughs> thanks man thanks for being part of it thanks for the conversation oh hey man thanks a lot yeah
2: yeah I really appreciate it. Like I said I would love to lead with you again. Yeah, yeah man. Always keep me on. Yeah. And I didn't like I say, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah, it. This mm-hmm. is I think you did really good and I look forward to your next class. Thank you. That's good. Thanks, man. 800 view. Yeah. I didn't
0: the black there Mary actually write the leads. <laughs> Um did you know Your Baby? Oh no, seven It says creation has been frustrated not
2: by their own actions, but by the one that did it.